This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report, episode 247 on a horrific Tuesday evening, November 7th, 2023. I am Will Byram, joined as always, unfortunately for his heart and soul, by my co-host Trevor Hewlin. Trevor, this is a late night episode on November 7th. November 7th, that date might sound familiar to some Vanderbilt fans. I think that's because it was the opening night of Vanderbilt's men's basketball season. And we are live reacting straight from Memorial Gymnasium to the 68 to 62 embarrassment that we just witnessed inside of Memorial Gym. Trevor, how are you feeling right now? Bad. Bad. On on the walk back to our car, I said this this is the worst loss in Vanderbilt basketball history. And I think most people would agree. Um, yeah, this was bad. This was bad. I think almost definitively, not the most hurtful individually, not the situationally worst, but this was the worst loss in the history of Vanderbilt basketball. This was the equivalent to, if not worse than Vanderbilt losing to ETSU in Clark Lee's first year. This is year five under Jerry Stackhouse. I want to re-emphasize, this is year five under Jerry Stackhouse as the head coach of Vanderbilt basketball. This is embarrassing. He shouldn't be coaching in game two. That's my opinion, but I forgot to read it at the beginning because I'm so gosh darn angry right now. Not even angry, numb, disappointed, sad, I don't, I don't even think anger is a word that I can currently use, but here at the door, broken, broken, we are presented by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty. If you are a first time home buyer or looking to move homes in the Nashville area, Corey Perkins is your man. You can reach out to Corey via phone call or text at 615-967-8623, or you can reach out to Corey via email at Perkins at realtracks.com. Real track spelled R E A L T R A C S dot com, Trevor. And I know Vanderbilt had a football game. They had a football game on Saturday, lost to Auburn 31 to 15. We're probably not going to be doing a recap this week of that game. Me and Trevor were initially expecting uh, to record this episode tomorrow night, this lovely episode 247. But I think we need to dig into basketball. And I think that's what we have on deck for episode 247. So this is, I don't know how long this episode is going to be. 
could be 20 minutes, could be two hours. But this is just going to be me and Trevor airing our grievances at the embarrassment we just saw roll out in black and gold on the opening night of Vanderbilt's 2023-2024 season. But before we get into all of that, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Door Report. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. Trevor, it's now time, not for breaking news, but for breaking souls. It's now time for the first segment of TDR. 68 to 62. Number 315 scored 68 points. And what I'm saying when I say number 315 is referencing number 315 and Ken Palm, the Presbyterian Blue Hose, traveled into Nashville from South Carolina, had a horrific team from the Big South. There's no other way to put it. A bottom of their conference team in the Big South, one of the worst teams ranked in the entire country. And Vanderbilt came out and got dominated yep. by Pres- the the final score doesn't even do it justice for how much Vanderbilt got dominated by Presbyterian went into the half Vanderbilt did up 28 to 24 and the second half was a rout Presbyterian dominated Vanderbilt in every single facet of the game outside of rebounding Vanderbilt couldn't shoot couldn't shoot from the three-point line couldn't shoot from the free throw line had no consistency on the offensive end, had no go-to guy. Colin Smith was nowhere to be found. Nope. Ezra Mignon turned it on at the end, didn't play the entire first half pretty much, and was the only guy in double digits. Yep. Evan Taylor can't shoot. We have have a new Trey Thomas. We have a guy that can't shoot and a guy that can't play defense. This guy sucks. Tasso's Comitero started out two for two, and then just completely uninvolved in the offense the rest of the game. Would not feed him the ball. Wouldn't give him the ball. Wouldn't shoot. There's Tyron Lawrence was out this game. Van Lubin was out this game. Lee Dort was out this game. That is no excuse to lose to Presbyterian. If this team has their entire starting five out, Vanderbilt's bench scholarship players, the seven of them, should be able to dominate Presbyterian starting five and their rotational guys. Mm -hmm. It's that simple. This is year five. There's no more, oh, we had injuries. Oh, we had guys out. You should have built up a roster that can beat the Presbyterian Blue Hose. We're not asking you to step out and beat a power program on the opening night with your best player. This is not Memphis. This is not Memphis. This is not Purdue. This is not an ACC team. This was the Presbyterian Blue Hose, and Vanderbilt came out and played like shit. From the first tip, got got up 10 points early. After that 10-point lead early in the game, the rest of the game, this Vanderbilt team played at the level of a below-average high school team. There's no flow to the offense. There's no... I don't. How would you describe the offensive scheme? Because to me, there is none. It looked like almost every possession Vanderbilt wasn't getting into their initial offensive look until 16 to 18 seconds remaining on the shot clock. Every possession. The the game is out of hand, Jerry. You are losing the game. The game is hanging in the balance. 
and you refuse to push the ball up court. You refuse to get into your offense. There's no motion on. Nobody's moving. Everybody's just standing around. Ezra is, I don't know if anybody saw, Ezra is barking at Jerry while handling the ball, asking him, what do I do? Nobody's doing anything, and you're down 10, 12 points, and you don't get into your offense until five seconds. Jason Rivera-Torres couldn't get a shot off. Shot clock went off on him. The game is ticking away, and this team looked like they didn't care. Jerry looked like he didn't care. Jerry refusing to call a timeout after Presbyterian took the lead was a direct, and I, I, I mean this, a direct middle finger to fans in the crowd who you could hear saying, Jerry, call a timeout. All the fans who all his career have been like, Jerry, Use your use it and lose it timeouts. Use your timeouts when momentum has changed. Use your timeouts when you lose a lead. And that is a direct, a direct middle finger to fans. Something that Jerry Stackhouse has continually done to this fan base. Whether it be like we said on the walk home. Giving the middle finger to fans after you lost the streak. Saying we don't care about the streak. Jerry, that means something to us. That streak was important to us. That was history. That was Vanderbilt, Harvard. That was it. That meant something to us. And to do it against Tennessee and to say you don't care, middle finger to fans, to continually block fans on Twitter, middle finger to fans, to continually show your golf swing on your Twitter when you should be out recruiting, when you should be in the lab running film, is a middle finger to fans. The timeout situation, a middle finger to fans. Everything about Jerry is disrespectful, and he should be gone effective immediately. The offense was terrible, could not get into any rhythm for an X's and O's coach, as as many fans like to call him. Most analysts like to buy in to that absolutely bull fucking shit narrative that Jerry Stackhouse is a great X's and O's coach. He's not! What about his production as a coach tells you he's a great X's and O's coach because other coaches say it? Guess what? I'm starting to think, and I've thought from the beginning, that coaches were saying that almost tongue-in-cheek because Vanderbilt's production on the offensive end since Jerry Stackhouse got here has been horrific. You had shooters, and you you can't shoot. Let me repeat how horrific Jerry Stackhouse has been at coaching the offensive side of the basketball since he got here. Shout out to my father. For digging this out so I didn't have to dig out the stats. Steve Byram, at the Steve Byram, give him a follow, legend, <laughs> tweeted out the first four years of Jerry Stackhouse's tenure, the team shooting percentage, and where the team ranks nationally in shooting percentage. And he said, numbers don't lie. And I quote tweeted it with, men lie, numbers don't. And Jerry Stackhouse's first season, 2019-2020, The team shot 42.8%, ranking number 227 nationally. His second season, the team shot 43%, ranking number 231 nationally. His third season, the team shot 42.4%, ranking number 270 nationally. Last year, year four, the team shot 42.5%, ranking number 294 nationally. And guess what Vanderbilt shot tonight against Presbyterian? 32.8%. That tells you everything you need to know about the current tenure of Jerry Stackhouse. It's time to go, Jerry. Great player in the NBA. 
long career in the NBA. I'll say that long career long. in the NBA. Known for picking fights because you sucked ass on the basketball good, court. Goodish G League coach. He is Jerry Stackhouse is not cut out to be a Division One major NCAA basketball coach. All this X's and O's bullshit that you're hearing. Yeah, Jerry Stackhouse has like three out-of-bounds plays that work pretty well. That's it. Other than that, his offense is stagnant. There's no off-ball movement. He plays one half of the court with 90% of his motion most of the time, stagnating the offense. Can't get the ball in shooters' hands consistently. And he can say that there's film to learn from. Things weren't executed well. But it's the same issue I have with the quotes from Clark Lee and the football program and Joey Lynch. It doesn't matter if your scheme isn't being executed how you want it to be executed. It's had enough time. It's a scheme problem. It's a you problem. The players have rotated in and out. The names have changed. The names on the back of the jerseys have changed. And the offense has sucked dick since day one that Jerry Stackhouse was the head coach. And the only single thing that has stayed the same during the Jerry Stackhouse tenure has been Jerry Stackhouse. Mm -hmm. That's the common denominator. So there's no one else to call out. There's no other player there's no oh we're lacking roster talent it's year five every player on this roster was recruited by you jerry yep. and you failed you have failed the season is over a q4 loss game one ends the season mm -hmm. all these bullshit quotes that he said during sec media day about not treating these games like preseason anymore it was a lie it was a lie it was a lie to he the played fans. 12 jerry stackhouse played 12 guys tonight a walk-on. He played Graham Carlton Jerry, to send a message to Colin Smith. I don't give two shits, Jerry. If if Colin wasn't on his bed, you cannot play a walk-on. You cannot play a walk-on in games that are do or die. Every game is do or die this season. You cannot play a fucking walk-on, Jerry. It's Trevor Bricks' F-bomb rule. You can't. You can't. You cannot play 12 guys. This team was thin. Before the announcement that Tyron Lawrence and Vin Allen Lubin were both out. This team was already thin. And Lee Dort, as expected, was out. This team was already thin. The rotation should have been seven guys. I, I don't know how in the hell you've played 12. I don't know how you justify bringing seven different guys off a bench that was already the worst bench in the entire SEC. And you emptied it out in a game that you got embarrassed by a team that you should be embarrassed to win a game by single digits, much less be down double digits inside of four minutes. Is there no part of Jerry Stackhouse's brain in the after game quotes? And I need to pull them up because Billy did a good job. Uh, Billy Derrick, formerly hosting the pod with TDR here. Shout if you don't know, boy, Billy. shout out to our poor, poor boy, Billy. Uh, some of the quotes from Stackhouse, he's just. He, he's in La La Land. He's in his own world thinking these quotes are going to make things not worse. I, I can't even fathom being in year five of a job, coming out, failing in front of everyone, shitting and pissing my pants, and coming out and saying, you don't make or miss the tournament on opening night. Jerry Stackhouse, direct quote, after losing to Presbyterian, number 315 in the net, Guess what, Jerry? You didn't make the tournament last year because of one or two games early in the season. That was it. 
That was the reason you didn't make the tournament. You've already lost the game that is going to be, even if Vanderbilt, by some miraculous work of Christ, turns this season around and starts winning games, this game against Presbyterian is going to be on your NCAA tournament resume as a negative, preventing you from being selected as a bubble team. You've already fucked it. It's already over. Season's over. It's over. I hate to tell everyone the best case scenario for this year after losing to Presbyterian is an NIT berth. If everything goes perfectly, that's it. All this hype, all the money you've given to Tyron Lawrence, all the money given to other players through the NIL collective, and you come out like this and you play like shit. Look, I tweeted something about this, about the NIL stuff. In basketball in particular, there will be individual criticism given to players. If you want to be a paid athlete through your name, image, and likeness and be making money through your basketball abilities, if you want that, then you need to be a big boy and take individual criticism. And there is a lot of individual criticism to be given out, not just to Jerry Stackhouse, who's number one, of course, on the list. The coach always is. But Colin Smith was awful. Terrible. Awful. Terrible. All the hype we heard about the weight he put on, he looked slow. He looked unexplosive. He looked like he lost his ability to shoot because of the weight he put on. Brother shot, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And he shot one for five from three, or, or the free throw line. Yep. I wish he shot one for five from three. He shot 0 for five from three. He if shot you, one for five from the free throw line. If you don't make 80% of your free throws, your scholarship should be stripped. You should have your scholarship stripped. Let's go to Evan Taylor next. The sharpshooter. Sharpshooter. The, the sharpshooter, the spot-up shooter that Jerry Stackhouse brought in that we thought was going to give some offensive production. Brother can't shoot. He ain't a shooter. He can't hit the goal. He, I mean, he hits the rim. I thought the rim was going to get a break this year because Trey Thomas and Miles Studi were gone. But looks like Evan Taylor is just going to pick up the slack and just hit the backboard and beat the hell out of the Memorial Gymnasium rim. Dude can't shoot. Dude's awful on defense. It's literally it's a bigger Trey Thomas with, without a dumb shimmy. It's a bigger Trey Thomas without a dumb shimmy. This this team, I under and this is where it frustrates me because I know in the bubble that Jerry Stackhouse and this staff live in, they're going to say we were missing Tyron Lawrence. Of course. We were missing Lubin. We were missing Lubin. We were missing Tyron Lawrence. And I understand they're gonna look this team is gonna look a lot better when they have their best player on the court. When Tyron Lawrence is back on the court, they're gonna look better. But it doesn't matter. That's the point I'm getting at, is if Tyron is at 70%, he has to play for 10 to 12 minutes. Yep. Th this was Jerry Stackhouse treating this game like a preseason game. Uh, just rest up. We got four buy-in games to start out the year. Just rest up for the Memphis game. Rest up for the tournament in Vegas, okay? we. I mean, we got this. He didn't learn his lesson. As much as he wants to act like he's learning and growing as a head coach, he hasn't learned a damn thing. The entire time he's been here, he's the same cocky motherfucker that walked in the door day one acting like his shit didn't stink. And it's why it was perceived poorly by Vanderbilt fans as a hire. He yep. didn't respect Vanderbilt basketball's tradition. He didn't respect the fans of Vanderbilt basketball. And now you're reaping what you sowed, Vanderbilt. Yep. You hired somebody that didn't care. And it looks like it. He's too Jerry. The continual disrespect to the fans 
SEC media days, you stated we are going to have to beat teams by 40. We learned our lesson. Once again, just lies to the fan base. A direct, a direct middle finger to the fan base. You did not tighten up your rotation. You did not go 12 out. guys, 12 guys, walk played. on, walk on play to send Colin Smith a message. I am sick. Malik Presley played tired. 18 minutes. I am sick and tired of sending players a message. You did it to Tyron last year. It looked good later on in the season. You sent Colin Smith the message. You trotted out a walk on for four minutes. You didn't tighten up your rotation. You did not go out and beat the teams you were supposed to beat by 40. It looked like you didn't try. The continual, continual middle finger to this fan base that loves basketball, that loves Vandy hoops, that loves whenever they go in and they sweat their dick and balls off in Memorial and they pay their hard-earned money to come see you coach a basketball team and you don't give two shits on the baseline. You don't care. Fans who have continually been beaten over the head, been fed these BS uh Quotes at SEC media has been spoon-fed hope, continually disrespected, blocked on Twitter, slight remarks to the fans. We don't care about the streak. We don't care about this and that. We don't care about the tradition of Vanderbilt. A proud fan base, and you continue, you continue to give a middle finger to this fan base, a fan base that has been much more lenient than every other fan base in the nation. After year one, every other proud college basketball program would have been calling for you to be fired. Every single one, nobody would have defended you. But people have come to your defense time after time after time, and it is year five, and Vanderbilt fans are sick and tired of getting disrespected, are sick and tired of continually being lied to. We're going to beat these teams by 40. We're not going to treat them as preseason. Jerry, you fucking treated it as a preseason. Like Will said, you trotted out 12 guys. 12. 12. I don't, I don't, I, I, I respect player safety. I don't give two shits if Tyron is at 60%. This, if you lose this game, which you did, it's done. You should know that before the game even starts. You try out your best players, and you push the ball up the court, and you and you and you attack the bucket, and you play hard on defense, and you now go out there and, and treat this game as a learning lesson for your young freshman. You did that, Jerry, and the season's over, and it's on your head now. Game one, and it's over. And and this is what bothers me so much about this whole conversation is. Anytime you give individual criticism to players at the college level, and I do agree with it for the most part, I think a lot of it's kind of gross, but at the same time, there are valid criticisms to be given. All I constantly hear about is Vanderbilt doesn't have enough support, doesn't have enough money coming in, doesn't have enough, you know, big money boosters to support an NIL collective to bring back talent, to retain talent, to bring in transfer portal talent. Well, guess what? Tyron Lawrence entered the transfer portal. And this fan base, this pathetic fan base that gives you no hope and no courage, somebody stepped up and brought Tyron Lawrence back and got him back on the roster. And now he's being paid, I would guess, a significant amount of money. 
to be a college basketball player. He's being paid a significant amount of money. I want to repeat that because I don't think people are taking recognition of that enough. The best ability is availability. And right now, you paid Tyron Lawrence. I get it. He's got an ankle injury. That sucks. It's not fair. Guess what? Life isn't fair. There's no excuse. You paid him this money. He wasn't on the court. That's a failure of Tyron Lawrence. That's a failure of this staff. And you're not getting the ROI return on investment that was guaranteed. It's not fair. Okay, Tyron, I don't know. I'm assuming he probably turned his ankle or something. And he'll be back. And now I might have to eat these words, and it might have been a true injury, but I would have guess, I would guess, I would bet a lot of money, in fact, that if this was Kentucky, that Tyron Lawrence would have been playing. If this was Tennessee, yep. Tyron Lawrence would have been playing. If this was Georgia, then Alan Lubin would have been playing. That's what pisses me off so much, is we all know this. And you are just acting like we are all so stupid as a fan base that we can't see through that. These guys are not fully injured. Lee Dort, I believe, has a full injury. I believe Lee Dort was going to be out no matter what. If they were playing Kentucky or Memphis game one, Lee Dort wouldn't have played. Memphis might be a better example since I'd named off SEC teams before. Or Texas Tech or NC State. If this was Memphis... I'm 98% sure that Tyron Lawrence and Ben Allen Lubin would have played. And that's what makes this loss even more disgusting. In a way, it kind of relates to back in the day when Vanderbilt upset Georgia and there were almost direct quotes saying when Todd Gurley didn't play. And they're like, we don't really need him against Vandy. That's the attitude. He can give the BS to the media. And you guys can lap up direct quotes from Jerry Stackhouse and staff and inside media members if you want. He is lying if he says anything other than that. These guys yep. were held out, and this game was treated as a scrimmage. Absolutely. And and I, I will stand behind that, and the players can come out and say I'm full of shit. They're full of shit. These guys could have played tonight. They were held out by the staff, and or they held themselves out. Wherever the blame goes, I don't know. I, don't, I wasn't there for the conversations. Somebody decided they weren't going to play tonight, and that was a decision that cost Vanderbilt their their season. And here we are right now with a Q4 loss day one. Yep. And there's nowhere to go from here. You can win out the rest of your non-con, and you're still going to have to basically finish top five in the SEC to even have a shot. Or win the championship, the tournament championship, which but is not going to happen. This is what's you, – you've – Obviously, when we say, like, if Vanderbilt runs the table and goes undefeated besides the Presbyterian game, the season's not over. So that's not what we mean when we say the season is over. Because people say, you can't say that after one game in basketball. The season is over for all intents and purposes. Is Vanderbilt's not going to run the table? It would take a divine act, like you said. Yeah, it would take winning the Vegas tournament and going into SEC play and winning 14 SEC games during conference play. That's what it would take at this point. any leniency or any normal losses are now the death knell in your season. You couldn't have this loss. And Trevor, I think it was Chris Lee put out the tweet that says, this is the worst loss in Vanderbilt basketball history. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not even close. My dad, who has been around longer than Chris Lee said on the walk back to us, he's like, this is the worst loss in Vanderbilt basketball history. Well, since the Ken Palm era, in 1999, Ken Palm began ranking teams. This is the worst loss since 2002 against Monmouth. 
Monmouth was ranked 222nd, I believe, in the Ken Palm. So they were almost a hundred high. Almost, it, yeah. And I could, it, it's low two four. They're in the two twenties, low two hundreds. This is still like eighty to ninety spots of a worse loss since Ken Palm began in 1999. And Vanderbilt's program was much prouder prior to that. Yep. So I wasn't alive prior to 1997 and definitely wasn't remembering anything. Don't even remember the 2002 Monmouth game. Nope. But this is rock bottom for the program. I I don't have, it sounds like I'm about to cry, but I'm just hoarse from yelling at Jerry Stackhouse. I kind of want to cry. So if you need to cry, let it out. Yeah. I don't have any tears. I'm numb in a way. I don't know how you feel. I, I'm numb. I'm angry. You're, you're still angry. I'm very angry. I walked in. Across the hall, me and Trevor's rooms face each other. This is the TDR experience in our slumlord apartment. <laughs> and I walked in and said, I'm so confident that I'm that I have a 10% feeling that we're gonna come that Vanderbilt is gonna come out and lose to Presbyterian. And that 10% came true. Whenever I am too confident in Vanderbilt, I immediately have the thought of this is going to go worse than you can ever imagine. Me and you were talking about this game as if a single digit win was going to be a, di- a massive I said anything less than 15 is a huge disappointment. I said I said that, and I, 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 I did. I said anything less than 15 points is a huge disappointment. So I don't even know what you call this. Yeah, I don't know what you call it. Trevor, I think let's take a TDR cocktail break, and let's come back and give our three where the hells do we go from here's. I don't know what we'll call them, but we'll have just more bitching and moaning after the TDR cocktail break. So... Grab yourself a stiff one. I usually say alcoholic or non-alcoholic. If you're not in recovery, grab yourself an alcoholic beverage. I don't even like alcohol, and I've already yeah, and, down and two Trevor's, beers. And Trevor's pounding Miller Lite, so grab I yourself a cold like one beer. and get ready for the TDR cocktail break. Welcome back from the TDR cocktail break. Welcome back into episode 247. Trevor, we've gotten a lot of the emotions out. It's time to run through the box score and really give some more poignant evaluation of what we saw on the court. We got the emotions out. I'm sure this will be emotional as well. It might get even more emotional once we yeah, realize we say, the numbers. Yeah, we say that, but we'll see. Vanderbilt as a team, like I already said, shot 32.8% from the field. Where are the shooters at, Jerry? You said you had shooters. Had shooters. Where's the shooters, Jerry? From the three-point line, Vanderbilt shot 8 of 33. 24.2% from the free throw line. Vanderbilt shot 16 of 27, 59% from the free throw line. It's worse than I thought. And as I always like to point out on these podcasts, before we get into individual numbers, Vanderbilt left 11 points at the free throw line. Guess how much Vanderbilt lost by six. Let me run the numbers here live on air. Let me pull up the calculator app on my phone. What if Vanderbilt would have shot 80% from the free throw line on 27 attempts? Let's just do the numbers. That's 22 for 27. That's six more makes than Vanderbilt had. Guess, guess what the margin of victory was for Presbyterian? Six. Six. If a team can shoot 80% from the free throw line, they will win games. Guess what? There is nothing like free throws in 
any other sport on the planet Nothing that I am like aware it. of. Free throws are the same in an empty gym as they are in front of 30,000 people. Nobody can defend you. It's more open than a free kick in soccer. There aren't it's, even free kicks in soccer. Yeah, it, but a penalty kick. Yeah. It's more open than Nobody's a penalty Nobody's guarding kick. the goal. There, there's no opportunity to score that is not allowed to be guarded like a free throw. A free throw is the same while you are alone in the gym as it is when there are 30,000 people in it. If it's it the is, same as the Y over here. Yep. It is a memorial exactly. when it's bumping in the 70s. It is the same. Nobody can defend you. Free throws are about getting your ass in the gym and shooting 100 free throws a day every day. And you will shoot above 75% if you shoot 100 free throws every day. You will. I don't care if you're six foot 11. I don't care if you're five foot five. If you shoot 100 free throws every single day during the season, during the off season, you will shoot above 75% from the free throw line. And it is pure player laziness that this team continues to struggle from the free throw line. And 59% is a great example of that. Let's run through the box score here. Jesus this is only going to get worse. Colin Smith, he definitely struggled. We mentioned that earlier. Did a good job on the glass rebounding. Want to give credit there. But Colin Smith is supposed to be the dude this year outside of Tyron on the offensive end. And he had three points. Seven rebounds. One for eight from the field. 0 for 5 from 3. 1 for 5 from the free throw line. Unacceptable. There's no other words. I think I don't want to shit on Colin Smith too much. I like Colin Smith. I've said that multiple times. He knows he played poorly. There's no reason to further. It wasn't a lack of effort. He just played poorly and shot poorly. There's no other words to describe that. Mm -hmm. Tassos Kamateros actually looked really good. I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah. I mean, as far as a guy that's expected to kind of be your third, second slash third string rotational change of pace guy in the post, mm -hmm. he looked really good. Eight points, two for four from the field, two for three from the three-point line, two for two from the free throw line. Guess how many threes he shot in the first half? I think he shot three. He shot three. He was three for three, wasn't he? He was two for, two three, for three. Two for three in the first half. Didn't shoot another three in the whole second half. Shooters, Jerry? Shooters? Uh, didn't Jerry Stack I say we finally had shooters? I thought we did. I, I thought we did, too. I don't, and just I don't keep know. in mind, Vanderbilt had eight made threes, most of which came at the very end of the game in desperation. Yeah, time. to when Evan Taylor with his freaking backpack shot just starts heaving up. the Dude can't shoot. He can't shoot. Ezra, can't shoot. Ezra buried too late that were two of the better Paul looking Lewis threes. Paul Lewis can't shoot. Tassos Comenteros, eight points, I mentioned, three rebounds. Paul Lewis, seven points, two rebounds, three assists. Shot one of five from the three-point line, three of eight overall. That's a theme. This team shot poorly. Evan Taylor, nine points, three of 11 from the three-point line, most of which, like I mentioned, came in desperation time, I think outside of one. Ezra Mignon, the lone bright spot. You want to say in one half scored yeah. 19 points, two of five from the three point line, seven of 10 from the free throw line, five of 12 overall. 
one assist, three rebounds, 18 points, two fouls. Those hmm. two fouls in the first half. In the first four minutes, basically. And Jerry's like, you know what? We're just going to sit in the rest of the time. Jerry Stackhouse, you wanted to hit on this. I don't want to steal your thunder. Instead of trusting his super senior point guard and allowing him to play with two fouls in that first half, decided to sit him for the entirety of the first half when Vanderbilt had momentum. Ezra came out of the game. Vanderbilt got momentum, went up 10 points. And instead of going in to hammer the nail into the coffin, Ezra continued to sit on the bench despite struggles late in the half yep. for Vanderbilt, needing a stabilizing presence from the point guard. Yep. Last, I, I get it. He has, he has two fouls, one of which was a bullshit foul, one of which was a soft call. Shouldn't have been a foul. I get it. You need to rest him for the, for, for the stretch of the game. I get it. I understand. How do you not put him in for the last four minutes in the half? Whenever your team is struggling offensively, you your team keeps turning it over. That freshman lineup had six turnovers. Six. Six turnovers. They could not hold on to the ball. Look like they freaking greased the ball. They could not hold on to the ball. The, the, the flow on offense was terrible. Awful. You get no production on offense. Bring in your guy who you know provides good defense, who you know does not turn over the ball, and put the nail in the coffin in the first half. Hammer it shut. Put a, put a bullet in the chamber. Put Ezra out there. Last four minutes. What are the odds he's going to get a foul in the last four minutes of the half? Just you trust keep turning him. it over. Just tr trust your guy. Trust your superstar. One of the best players and Vanderbilt backcourt that we have had in a long time. Oh, hold on to that. Put him in. Put him in. You keep turning over the ball, and you don't do anything about it, Jerry. You don't do anything about no it. No timeouts. No timeouts. Use it or lose it. You go into the half with your use it or lose it. Again. Oh, my God, dude. Again. Again, it, just, it, it doesn't change. It it's doesn't. Same he thing. keeps saying, trust the process. It's going to get better. No, it doesn't, Jerry. It's never gotten better. It's just been the same bullshit five years in a row. Trust the process. You haven't evolved with the process. Jerry has not evolved with the process. He's the same guy day one as he is now. And he's losing Vanderbilt basketball games. And it will continue to lose Vanderbilt basketball games until he is out. Candace Story Lee, we are fans of you. We are fans of you on this pod. We have sung your praises over and over and over again. You have done nothing but wonderful things. I don't want to see another bullshit a statement of support for Jerry in the Tennessee and tomorrow. Don't say you back him. Get him the hell out of Nashville. Pack up his Louis Vuitton bags. I don't care. Put Andy Fox at head coach. I don't care. Season's over. Get him out. Get him out. Carter Lang, kind of a bright spot. Played emergency minutes played 18 minutes seven points 11 rebounds looked pretty solid i won't run through the whole box score i thought jason rivera torres looked pretty solid played 22 minutes four points two of six from the field malik presley somehow played 18 minutes insane 18 minutes insane. just just a dead zone in the offense zero offense possibility of offensive production that played 18 minutes his defense wasn't good either just a dead a it provides nothing. I, I don't understand. He's not ready. He is not ready to play college no, basketball. There, the, and I understand there were issues and injuries. You were, you were limited, but there were guys that were clearly more ready to be playing. Jason Rivera-Torres being one. There, there were not 12 guys outside of Tyron Lawrence, Van Allen Lubin, and Lee Dort. There were not an additional 12 guys that were ready no. to play, and you played all of them, Jerry. 
all of them. He thinks it's preseason. Still. He thinks he it's lied. Pre-season. He lied to us. He lied to us, Trevor. We're not even going to get into football. Vanderbilt lost to Auburn, thirty-one to fifteen. There's very little more to get into. Is there anything else you want to you want to get off your chest before we end a, a depressing episode of TDR? And there goes Jerry Stackhouse. I think that's a good way to end episode two forty-seven. For myself, Will Byram, and my very angry co-host Trevor Hewlin, this has been. Episode 247 of The Door Report, powered by Corey Perkins of Parks Realty.